The following message entitled, Don't Flaunt Your Freedoms, part 44 of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Joe Ryer on the 19th of April, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, if you have a Bible, open to Romans 14. And while you're flipping there, just uh, one other announcement. We have fellowship groups this week. That's our small group ministry. So if you're wanting to go to a group and you're not in one yet, you can go to the Welcome Center, sign up for one. And also for young adults, there's one immediately after church today. Last week I was, I was sick, I wasn't here, and I, I heard Mark was, was poking fun at both Bob and I, if you're new to the church. Uh, Mark is the senior pastor of this church, he is 65 years old. Um, the other two pastors, myself and Bob Mundorf, we are both 38 and if you were here last week, Bob preached from a stool because he can't walk because he tore the meniscus in his knee, and, and I was homesick with the cold. And so Mark seemed to poke fun at that. He, he is um, usually healthier than both of us combined. So next week when Mark preaches, he's going to be preaching um, half the sermon by, uh, while he stands on a treadmill at about three and a half miles per hour. And then the second half of the sermon, he's going to be on a stationary bike as well, just to prove that he, he's not going to get out of breath as he's preaching. Right, Mark? Or he may be doing a video from Shadyside Hospital. He, he's, <laughs> he doesn't want to jinx himself. But we, we don't believe in that. We believe God is in control, right? All right, open the Bible, your Bible to Romans chapter 14. Today really is the second part of the message Bob began last week, and Mark will finish next week. And after the message this morning, we're going to take communion. So that's a little different than our normal format, but we thought it would be appropriate in response to the message last week, the message this week, and then the one we're going to do next week as well. Well, last night, as I said, a number of us went to the Newsboys concert. So I know, I think there was... 60, 70, 80 people from the church that went. And if you've never been to a concert or a Christian concert, it's pretty much like any other concert, except uh, what was really cool about this concert was centered around Jesus, but the volume and the lights and all the craziness of concerts was there for a Christian concert as well. And the, the kind of the highlight uh, for the, the fun part was the drummer was up on a platform, and this guy had these monstrous muscle arms, and he was smiling the whole time, just a, a drummer who was using his gifts to, to honor Jesus. And at, near the end of the show, the platform began to spin around in a circle, and then it actually inverted. So he's kind of hanging upside down, just drumming the whole time as he's spinning around in a circle. And I was seated right in front of Trevor Walls and Cam Walls, two teens in the church, and all I heard them say is, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome, the, the whole time. So it was loud, there were strobe lights, there was all kinds of color lights just spinning around. So I want you to have that image in your mind. Got that image, we're at a concert, it's loud, definitely was honoring Jesus, but it was bright, loud, and uh, a little bit crazy. Well, a number of years ago, Mark and I, through a series of circumstances, began to meet with some Mennonites in the area who were, were born-again Christians who loved the Bible. And we were having a number of meetings with them, and they, 
they believe every word of this book. They trust in Jesus for salvation. But to, to see them, they, they wore plain outfits, black. Uh, the, the ladies were dressed very conservatively, and they drove a black minivan with no chrome on it. And so they have very strong convictions in a number of areas that would differ probably from most, if not all, of us. So I want you to imagine if, I'll call him Abraham, if Abraham, if I invited him to come to the Newsboys concert, and all I told him is, Abraham, this is an event, it's going to be a lot of Christians there, they love Jesus, and we're going to sing to Jesus. How about you come, I'll pay for the tickets. And what if Abraham showed up a little bit late, which would be out of custom, and when he got there, the drum set just begins to spin, and now the drummer's inverted, there's strobe lights flashing. Keep in mind, this is a man who, who probably has never worshipped Jesus with music. He doesn't listen to music, he doesn't listen to the radio, he doesn't have the internet, doesn't download songs. What do you think would be going through his mind? Would that be a loving thing for me to do to him, to spring a Newsboys concert on him? That would not be a loving thing to do. Not because I think it's sinful. I thought it was awesome last night. I thought it was very encouraging. But other Christians have different convictions on a whole variety of issues. And that's what Bob began to talk about last week. And that's what we're going to continue to talk about this week. And if you weren't here last week, I'd really like to encourage you to go to our website, um, sgcpaindiana.org, and you can download the message, because this is really part two of what he began last week. So last week he started with chapter 14, verse 1, and went through 13. I'm going to pick it up at verse 13 today. But just to refresh your memory, the subject last week and this week is, is what to do about disputable matters among Christians. Areas that, if I surveyed every one of us in this room, what kind of music do you listen to? What kind of shows do you like to watch? What do you like to do for fun? What do you think about drinking beer? What do you think about tattoos? What do you think about hairstyles? What do you think about what clothing is appropriate? In a room this size, with this many people, we'd have a wide variety of answers. That's not a bad thing. It can actually be a very healthy and good thing. But where we've got to be careful is how we relate to other Christians who disagree with us on those issues. I want to just refresh our memory and just read the first four verses of chapter 14 and try to apply it a little bit just to help us think about it because where we're heading this morning is we're going to talk about those who, who are strong in their conscience, who, who in many ways have lots of liberty as Christians. And Paul wants us to be very mindful, if you fall into that group, of those who may struggle in other areas. So it should be projected behind me. This is the NIV translation. The Apostle Paul writes, Accept the one whose faith is weak, meaning their conscience is tender, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt 
the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does not, for God has accepted them. So just to give you some background, just as a way to, to jog our memory, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. The church in Rome was made up of many Jewish Christians and many Gentile Christians. And because there was persecution in Rome, the Jews were sent out of Rome for a number of years, so the Gentile Christian population in the church began to grow much stronger. And they had a much, probably larger influential role as the Jews began to come back into the church as the persecution lessened. Well, for a Jewish person, they might have had issues of Old Testament law and what was appropriate to eat. For a Gentile pagan, they may have, before they met Christ, they may have spent all their time worshiping false gods in the pagan temples, doing all sorts of terrible sins, and it's centered around meat that was sacrificed to these false gods. So because of that, both groups may have had issues with certain kinds of food. And so Paul's addressing that issue, and he wants, wants us to think carefully about areas that are disputable, that, that we may disagree with one another on. Because the reality is, for both the Jew and the Gentile, in Christ, all things have been made clean and are good and acceptable. But some may have a weaker conscience. So if you grew up going to a temple to sacrifice steak to a false god, you might have trouble eating that steak. So that, that's the context. But because most of us did not grow up Jewish, and probably none of us grew up going to pagan temples, this might seem a little abstract for us. So I just want to give us some examples. I'm going to take the words, eat anything, eat vegetables, remove that, and throw in some other categories that may um, be more relevant to our time. So here we go. This is at verse 2, chapter 14. One person's faith may, that, may allow them to drink a beer, but another whose faith is weak abstains from alcohol. The one who drinks beer must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and then one who does not drink beer must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them both. So we're going to get into the use of alcohol here a little bit later. Here be another example. One person's faith may allow them to get a tattoo, but another whose faith is weak abstains from marking up their body with any kind of ink. The one who gets tattoos must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not, you know what I'm trying to say. I got, I got a little confused there. But you get the, get the idea. I'm going to try it one more time. Last, yesterday, I went trout fishing with my son. I was wearing dingy clothing. I had a baseball cap on. And it was all my, my grubby fishing gear. So one person's faith may allow them to wear whatever they want when they come to church on a Sunday morning. But another's faith, whose faith is weak, needs to dress up on Sundays. The one who wears grubby clothing must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one, this is the last part I get so confused here. The one who does not dress up must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them both. In other words, these are disputable matters. Now, for some of you, you might think, I don't think they are disputable matters. Well, that's a dispute, so that makes it a disputable matter. But here's the thing. 
Bob made this clear last week, and I just want to underscore it this week. Paul is not talking about areas that are very clear in the New Testament. Like, we should not get drunk. It is a sin to get drunk. It is not a disputable matter. It is not a disputable matter to indulge in sexual immorality. It is not a disputable matter. It's not a disputable matter to lie or to cheat or to steal. The Bible is crystal clear, and it carries from the old to the new. What we're talking about is is areas that, that maybe are a little bit grayer, and at times our church background and our personal experiences and our, the family we were raised in can really shape our convictions on these disputable matters. And so we want to think carefully because we are a church that has grown and is growing in diversity in a number of ways, but particularly in these areas of disputable matters. We have a wide, wide spectrum on a variety of subjects, just like the church in Rome did. And what Paul didn't do, he didn't write to the Gentiles, why don't you start your church on the north side of Rome and Jewish Christians start your church on the south side of Rome. No, he wanted them to stay together because it it says a lot about the unity that we have in Christ if we can love each other despite disagreeing on disputable matters. So last week, Bob shared this well-known quote, in essentials, unity... In non-essentials, liberty or freedom. In all things, charity. So in essentials, faith alone and Christ alone, the Bible being the word of God, the essentials, we've got to be together. We're either in the faith or out of the faith. In non-essentials, we've got to give each other freedom to answer before God with our conscience and what is right for us and not impose that on others, nor judge others who disagree with us in a sinful way. Why does this matter so much? Why does Paul take so much time? Why are we taking three weeks in this series on Roman, in Romans to talk about it? I think it matters for a number of reasons. But one is, it says a lot about our Lord. It says a lot about Jesus. If we cannot work out areas that Maybe the Bible is silent on or doesn't talk much about, but we instead have to build our own camps and groups and cliques and tribes based on secondary issues. Well, that that doesn't bring honor and glory to Jesus. Likewise, if we who have a wide variety of opinions on disputable matters are able to have fellowship and enjoy one another and love one another, and spend time with one another, and not fight or quarrel with one another, oh, that says a lot about what Jesus has done in our life. And that's where Paul, we're going to see in this chapter, he's coming from the personal perspective of one who is stronger in conscience. He has a strong conscience on most of, if not all, the issues we're going to talk about. And yet he's he's the first to lay down his rights for the sake of his brother or sister, who has a weaker conscience. So that, that's the background. And the title of this message is Don't Flaunt Your Freedoms. And the reason I picked that title is because starting verse 13 through the end of the chapter, Paul is going to address those who have a stronger conscience in a number of areas. Those of us in the room who may feel very free 
in a number of issues that other Christians don't feel they have the same freedom in and how to think carefully through that. So first points, just two points. Don't flaunt your freedom. Rather, love one another. Look at verses 13 and 14. Don't flaunt your freedom. Therefore, so that's referring to everything that was just said, let us not pass judgment on another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. This is Paul's heart. This is God's heart. That our attitude would be, I never want to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a Christian brother or sister. If I can, by my actions or inactions, prevent another Christian from stumbling, I want to do that. Even if that involves laying down my freedoms or my rights. Verse 14, Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. In other words, what Paul's saying there, I am so fully persuaded that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law, the requirements of the law are paid in full, that no longer hangs over my head, including religious ceremonies, including dietary restrictions in the Old Testament. But not only that, I'm also very clear, the Apostle Paul would say, that there is only one true God. And so I can eat meat that came from the temple because I don't believe they were actually sacrificing it to a real God. I can do that. I have that freedom in Christ, the Apostle Paul would say. But then he qualifies the second half of verse 14. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So in this section, he's not going to say to those who have a weaker conscience, just get over it. Just grab a fork and eat the meat. It'll be fine. No, he's not saying that at all because he knows it bothers their mind, their conscience. And so he wants to be patient and gentle with them so not to lead them into sin. So likewise, we need to be have the same attitude. Maybe you do have the freedom that the Apostle Paul is describing, but that freedom isn't a right to just plow over everybody else's personal convictions. It's important to remember, as I said a little bit ago, that it was no small thing to have Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in the same church. I mean, think for a moment how different these two cultures were. So if you were a Jewish young boy who grew up in a Jewish family, following the Old Testament, following the Old, Old Testament laws, following the, all the, the, you went to all the religious holidays, you, you practiced all the dietary restrictions, you've never had bacon, you've never eaten seafood, you've done everything that you were supposed to do, so that's your upbringing. You've tried to obey to the best of your ability, apart from Christ, all that the Old Testament requires. That's the one member of the church. Then over here is someone, a male or female, who just indulged in sin and immorality and just lived at the pagan temple. 
and indulged in all kinds of sins. Wasn't moral like the person over here. And then Christ saves this person, and Christ saves this person, and puts them in the same church, and says, you guys got to work it out and love one another. And you are now brother and brother, or brother and sister. But you can imagine those two worlds, you're going to have a lot of different thoughts about a lot of different subjects. And that's part of the church. That, that's, there's, I think there's a real connection with what he's saying here and the idea that we're to be a church that welcomes everyone, to, that we invite everyone. If we're going to be effective at evangelism, this is an issue we need to work out. Because if not, we're going to unintentionally maybe stumble a lot of people who have different convictions on a variety of issues. So I want you to have that picture that this was no easy thing for the Jew, Jewish Christians or the Roman Christians in Rome. Now what's interesting, the book of Corinthians, the city of Corinth, had a similar background and had some similar challenges. So if you have a Bible, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, or it will be projected behind me. Paul's going to be addressing a somewhat similar dispute that was happening in another church in another city. And this, this dispute's going to center around food sacrifice to idols. And the reason I want to read this whole section, because I want us to hear where he lands in this section. He says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. He's saying it's a false god. It does not exist. And there is no god but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, is a qualifier, not all possess this knowledge. In other words, not all Christians understand the full implications of all that has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Even though Paul's saying, I don't think it's real, What is real is their conscience is really defiled if they eat meat from this temple. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So did you catch that? We're not more mature if we can eat food or less mature if we can't eat food. But to take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. He's saying, don't, don't lead another to violate their conscience. And that phrase, this would be a helpful one, whenever you are tempted to judge or be critical to another Christian, who is disagreeing with you on a disputable matter. Think it is the brother or the sister for whom 
Christ died. That changes things. This is one that God became man and shed his blood for. So who are we to dispute with them? Then verse 12, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So he's saying we could actually sin in this area by encouraging our brother or sister with a weaker conscience to go into something that violates their conscience. And we sin against Christ by doing that. He said, and this is why I love the Apostle Paul and his attitude here. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. It's written from a man who probably more than any of us understands the full implications of the gospel. Paul was entirely free to drink a glass of wine with his temple steak. I guarantee you. He had no problems with it at all. But... For the sake of my brother, I'll never do it again. I'll lay it all down. I'll lay my right down. So you get the, get the idea here. But for us, it's still a bit, a bit abstract. So I want to use the, just an example of alcohol in, in our time because I think this is a one that we, we want to think carefully about as Christians and as a church. And uh, maybe a year or two ago, I preached a, a message on the use of alcohol. So you can go to the website and listen to that. But this is from the, the, the angle that maybe you are a Christian, that your conscience is clear when it comes to the use of alcohol. That you believe that it's a good gift from God, that you can drink beer or wine responsibly, and you're not sinning. And you are clear that drunkenness is a sin. So you don't get drunk, but you can enjoy alcohol. Well, how this applies to alcohol is I want you to imagine that you're having... 20 people over for dinner, celebration of some sort. You know, one has just gotten out of a, a rehab center for alcohol and other drug use, and, and yet they are a believer in Jesus, but, but they've struggled over the years. Another was married to an alcoholic, and, and her, her life was devastated by alcoholism. And two or three, you're just not sure where, where they are coming from on the, the issue of alcohol. And your normal custom when you have guests over is to serve wine or beer with your dinner. And you see it, when you think of alcohol, you think of fellowship, enjoyment from God, gifts that he has given you. What should you do in that situation? Should you just go ahead and set the table, put the wine out, put the beer on the table? What should you do? Well, I think from this passage, what you should do is lay down your right. Because let's say for the young man coming out of rehab or the young woman coming out of rehab. For them, drinking another drink may send them in another tailspin of binging on alcohol and other drugs. And so you could really be causing a major stumbling block by even presenting alcohol to them. For the woman who grew up or was married to an alcoholic for years, 
even the smell of alcohol may trigger terrible memories. And it may just mess with her conscience severely. And then with the other group, the few you don't know, it would just be loving to lay down your right and just have fellowship with them. And you might say, well, where are you getting that? Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, what in what you drink, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. If your brother or your sister is grieved by, by what you're doing, what you're eating or drinking, you're no longer walking in love. So what should you do? I, I think what you should do in that context is lay down your right out of love for them. That would be the most loving thing to do. Even if you can't totally understand why their conscience is bothered, even if you can't have any idea what it was like to grow up with an alcoholic parent or an alcoholic spouse, it's a loving approach to fellowship because there's just much higher things at stake than what we eat or drink. So in verse 16, Paul says, Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. In other words, if you're free in the area of alcohol, don't allow what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. And it, for example, how this would play out if, if you decided not to lay down your right and you decided to force the issue and you didn't even ask the, the guy that just got out of rehab. You just pour him a glass of wine or hand him a bottle of beer. Well, you, that, could be, that freedom you have could be spoken of as evil. So-and-so went to um, so-and-so's church and met a guy, had, had him over for dinner, and now he's been drinking ever since. Again, now I know it's his responsibility before the Lord to have self-control, but we're not to tempt, we're not to cause another brother or sister to stumble. So God calls us to lay down our freedoms. So second point, lay down your freedom for the sake of others and the good of the church. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, when, when we become Christians and Jesus is our ruler and king, and we are under his rule and we are part of the kingdom of God, we should be marked by Righteousness, godly living, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the primary stuff. We shouldn't primarily be focused on some of the freedoms some of us may have in Christ. We should be willing to set those aside for godly living, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And verse 18 he says, Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. In other words, any servant of Christ who is in Christ and seeking to do these things, he's accepted by Jesus, the Master. So if the Master accepts us, we can't forbid somebody else fellowship or relationship. If it's okay with Jesus, if their conscience issues, whether they're strong or weak, are acceptable because 
they're primarily or you're primarily committed to godly living peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, then we shouldn't make an issue of these secondary items. So I want you to think about this. We want to grow in our effectiveness of evangelism and discipleship. So if we do that, what that means is people from all kinds of backgrounds will come in. And when they come in, we don't want to trip them over political convictions, over issues of alcohol, over issues of dress, over issues of schooling preference. We want to, when they think of Saving Grace Church, they think of a people that has been saved by Jesus, that is pursuing Jesus, as a loving people, as a joyful people, that is all about what Christ has done in them and the primary things in this book. So in verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That should be your aim. That should be my aim. What would build up another member of this church? What would build up another Christian in town? That, that should be our aim. And the picture is a, a building. And, and in one sense, the, the church is, is a building. It's a building that Jesus has built and is continuing to work on. And it's a structure that is, is meant to be unique in the world. And so if we lay down rights and don't dispute over these disputable matters, it says a lot about our builder, Jesus, and what he has done in his church. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says this about the church. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Every true Christian church is this unique, precious thing on the earth. We're unique as a Christian church in this regards. We are a pillar and buttress of the truth. We, we uphold God's word. And so we don't want by our actions on these disputable matters to somehow mar what God has intended for us. Then he goes on to verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Do not, for the sake of food or anything else that's coming to mind, destroy the work of God. Well, how could you destroy the work of God? We could unintentionally, I think often it's unintentional, so mar and mess with someone's conscience, that they just go on a downward spiral in their faith. That it's so confusing to them that they begin to just struggle and stumble and trip over things that they hear or see other Christians doing. Let me give you just one more example. Last summer, uh, one of my best friends, who's a Christian, who lives in another town, came up to visit, and he came to just help me work on a house project for a couple of days. And we're working on the house project, and I had Pandora on my phone, and a Led Zeppelin song came on that I liked, and the lyrics weren't, weren't bad or sinful. 
And he just asked, hey, Joe, would you, would you mind just changing that song? He said, when I hear that song, it reminds me of many simple things I did when I was in high school and college. So I said, sure, and I just turned it off. Now, what I could have done was say, you know what? This is a good friend of mine. You know, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Get over it. It's a great song. I really enjoy it. And what would have potentially happened is a flood of memories from his past would have come in like a flood. And some of them may have gotten trapped in his mind and led him down a road of other temptations that he has since turned from, repented of, and changed in many areas. So it wouldn't have been loving for me to listen to it. Even though I could have listened to the same song and my conscience was absolutely clear. So this could be true of sports or TV or anything that, that you enjoy that maybe a, a brother or sister, because of their background, maybe they were a great athlete and they idolized sports. And so sports to them is no longer fun or enjoyable in live or, or on TV. And so they, they, they don't want to do it. They don't want to watch. And you can watch it with great pleasure. So just be mindful. Let me just conclude with the last few verses. So he says, it is good not to eat meat, verse 21, or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You're getting that theme that's over and over in this section. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. In other words, where your conscience is strong and firm, that primarily is between you and the Lord. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts, is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I said I was only going to do one last illustration, but here would be one other outside of alcohol. If, if you're over the age of 18 and a group of friends are going to get tattoos, and in your mind, you don't think it's right to mark up your skin. But they pressure you into it and they say, hey, I'm going to pay for your tattoo. You can get a Bible verse for all I, I care. I will pay for it. Well, they're unintentionally maybe, or maybe intentionally, causing you to violate your conscience. And that is not something Jesus wants us to do with his kids, with those he has shed his blood for. So we want to be loving and careful and marked by love and righteousness and peace and joy. And verse 1 of 15 sums up this section. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So in conclusion, don't flaunt your freedom. Rather, love one another And be willing to lay down your freedoms for the sake of others and the good of the church. Let's pray and if the band could come up and Mark's going to come up and lead us in communion. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for just the willingness of everyone to listen to your word. And I know the desire in this room is to obey your word. And Lord, we pray for Holy, Holy Spirit that you would help us to do that. And Lord, we also pray that we'd be able to welcome many more
people into the church from all sorts of backgrounds and convictions. And Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus, for for loving us. And uh, we ask this in your name. Amen.